Go with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter number one. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of this afternoon's service at 6.30. And I'll tell you, it's the most important service of the year. So I hope you'll do everything you can to be here tonight. Brother Marty Barnell is going to be with us. And I trust that you're going to do everything possible to be in service tonight at 6.30. Come early for prayer. Amen. Continue to remember Brother Miller in prayer. Amen. He's prayed for a lot of us. Now he's not in a position where he can pray for himself. And so we're going to pray for him. Amen. The book of Romans, chapter number one. I was over there. As the service went on, I started opening my message and I started putting red marks on lines. Brother Steve asked me if I was putting band-aids on my sermon. I told him I'm removing stuff. Stuff I wish I could say just don't have time. Romans 1 and 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I'm going to read on a little bit more, but I want, I want to read verse 21 again. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. Everybody say thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. So what happens to somebody when their heart becomes dark? Let's continue. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same. He said they know that it's wrong. And they know that people that do it should be punished. Not only do they do the same thing, even knowing better, but have pleasure in them that do them. I want to preach for a while this morning on the destructive power of unthankfulness. The destructive power of unthankfulness. 
And if I had a subtitle, it would be The Power of Thanksgiving. Lord, I pray, God, help me to preach everything you want me to preach in the way you want me to preach it. Anoint our ears to hear. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, let the seed of your word find good ground. Let it bring forth the fruit that you've called and designed it to do. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would confirm your word with signs following. Do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now I want you to lay your hand on your head. And I want you to pray right now that God will cause this message to stay in your spirit and in the forefront of your mind for the rest of your life. God, I don't want it just to be a Sunday morning sermon that gets filed away with all the others. But God, let this word stay in our hearts and in our minds. God, let this word stay in our heart and in our mind, God. Let it become part of the fabric of who we are. Let it become part of our daily thoughts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The year was 1608 when a group of English religious separatists called the Puritans desired to separate from the Church of England and the persecution that was aimed at their particular sect. They initially moved to Holland, but after 12 years, they set sail for the New World. In the year of 1620, 101 men, women, and children boarded the Mayflower for the 66-day journey across the Atlantic. They came ashore near what is now Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Over time, they fostered a friendship with a neighboring tribe and with their leaders. In the fall of 1621, the pilgrim Edward Winslow noted in his journal that their governor, William Bradford, sent four men on a mission into the wilderness to hunt in preparation for a three-day celebration of Thanksgiving. Hearing the gunshots, the Indians were afraid that perhaps the settlers were preparing for war. And so he sent 90 of his men to meet with the settlers. When they realized that it was simply preparation for a Thanksgiving celebration, the chief sent out some of his own men to hunt for deer to assist, and for three days, the Indians and the English played games, sang, and ate together, offering Thanksgiving. Later this week, families from across our country will gather for the Thanksgiving holiday. For over a hundred of our church people will be at National Youth Convention worshiping together. Sadly, many families will gather for food and for friendship and fellowship, and many of them will not take time at all to thank God for his blessings. Very often, the true meaning of the holiday is lost among the food and the football and the traditions. However, the founding families of our country understood that the only way that this could become, that this land could become great was to include God and to thank Him for everything that He had done. A statistic I recently read said that from those founding families, that 101 people on the Mayflower, 
that there are over 30 million descendants in our nation because God blesses people who make thanksgiving a priority. Secular and religious studies have shown that thankfulness is foundational to success and health. Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, an author and psychologist, said that gratitude is an antidote to negativity. It's an antidote to negative emotions, a neutralizer of envy, avarice, hostility, worry, and irritation. The world's most prominent researcher on gratitude, Robert Emmons, divined it as a felt sense of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life. Sean Acor, the author of The Happiness Advantage, wrote, studies have shown that gratitude sparks an upward spiral of growth. He wrote that our brains have only limited resources. I can say amen to mine, but let me get back to it. I don't have time to waste. He wrote that our brains only have limited resources. Therefore, we are left to make a choice on how we use our brain power. We use our resources to either see pain, negativity, stress, and uncertainty, or we can use our brain to look at the things through the lens of gratitude, hope, optimism, and meaning. Our text for this morning reveals the condition of a corrupt and wicked world. From Romans 1, verse 21, through verse 32, we read of the characteristics of degenerate humanity. The Bible describes it as this. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They professed to be wise, but they were fools. They worshiped graven images as if they were God, and they followed other idols. They followed the lusts of their heart. They dishonored their body through sexual sins. They were filled with unrighteousness. They engaged in fornication, wickedness, and covetousness. They were malicious, full of envy, murder, and arguing. They were deceitful, gossipers, and backbiters. They were haters of God. They were proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. They were disobedient to their parents. They were without understanding. They broke covenants and promises and agreements. They were unable to have natural affection, and they could not be pleased, and the Bible said they were unmerciful. These terrible conditions of depraved humanity are so opposite from what God had planned for man to be. When God created man, he created humanity to fellowship with him through worship. God created man to be holy and to interact with him. Yet mankind had descended into perversion, depravity, and corruptness. Paul looked ahead as he was writing to Timothy, and he prophetically wrote of the condition of end-time man. He said in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, again, disobedient to parents, 
unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And Paul says, from such, turn away. How did man descend to the depths of their current condition? How did humanity get like they are? The beginning of our text in Romans, just before the apostle Paul listed all the vile traits of sinful humanity, he tells us this in Romans 1, 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And from there, Paul lists the end result of what happens when these two things take place in somebody's life. First of all, Paul said they knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. They knew him, but they didn't worship him like he deserved to be worshiped. They knew him, but they let other things take their praise above him. He said they knew God, but they didn't treat him like he was God. They acted like he was an accessory to life, like a four-wheeler or a hunting rifle, or a car, or some other thing. They knew him, but they didn't glorify him. They put work in front of him. They put pleasure in front of him. They put money in front of him. They put relationships in front of him. They put all the things of life in front of him. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him like he's God. That word glorify in its original meaning it means to esteem as glorious or to honor properly, to praise and magnify, to celebrate, to adorn with luster, to clothe with splendor, to render excellent, to make him renowned, to cause worth to become manifested and acknowledged. You cannot think that he's worthy to be glorified. For it to be glorifying, it has to become manifested and acknowledged. Amen. Praise cannot be interior. Praise must be manifested. He said they knew God, but they didn't glorify him like God. They knew him, but they didn't treat him like he was better than their hobby and better than their pastimes and better than their recreation and better than their relationships and better than everything else. He said they knew him, but they didn't place him in the proper position in their life. And when you hold back worship from something, you're stripping it of its worth. Amen. I'm preaching to you already. When you hold worship back from God, you may not audibly say it, you may not verbalize it, but when you hold your worship back from God, what you're saying is you are not worth my effort to give you the praise that I should be giving you. You don't deserve it. 
My hand clap is better for a football team or a basketball team than it is for you. My time is better spent on the golf course or the tennis court or in the shopping mall. My time is better spent in a deer stand or a duck hunting blind than it is or by the bank of a river. My time is better invested in all of that. And he said they knew God, but they didn't glorify him like he was God. Oh, hallelujah. To hold back worship from something is to strip it of its worth and to show that you do not believe that it deserves the glory. To hold back worship from God is to publicly declare that you do not believe that he deserves the glory. They knew him as God, but they didn't glorify him like he was God. If the President of the United States, regardless of who he is, would walk into the room, any decent American citizen would show the honor for the office and the position. I've been in rooms when the president came in three different times in my life. I've been in rooms with the president, and when the president walks in, you don't have to like him or not like him, but when he walks in, everybody stands to their feet, and when he walks into the room, they give him a hand clap. Not necessarily because they approve of everything he's done, but they do it because of the respect for the office. They do it out of respect for the position. And I'm going to tell you that when God begins to move in a place like this, that it is nothing but respect for God to acknowledge him by giving him the glory that's due his name. And anything less, anything less than acknowledging that he deserves glory is to strip him of what he deserves, for you to be willing to clap for an individual but not for God, for a sports team but not for God, for you to invest your emotions in anything but not for God is to strip him of the glory that he deserves. The Bible said they knew God but they glorified him not as God. And then he throws this next phrase, neither were thankful. They were not thankful. And because they were not thankful, the Bible said their foolish hearts were darkened. Unthankfulness. Are you with me this morning? Unthankfulness made their hearts dark. Every time that they refused to be thankful. Their heart got a little bit darker. Their condition went from just a little dark to a little more dark and a little more dark. It went from unthankfulness to that terrible list of qualities of full depravity. But it began with not glorifying him and not being thankful. Paul told the Roman church in Romans 7 and 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, everybody say the motions of sins. The motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Notice what the New Living, how it renders this verse. When we were controlled by our old nature, 
sinful desires were at work within us. And the Bible said, these evil desires produced a harvest of sinful deeds. The motions of sin, sinful desires at work within us, bringing a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. The KJV called it the motions of sin. Can I tell you that sin is not static and unmoving? Sin is not satisfied with one little action or one little failure. Sin has motion to it. It's always advancing and moving deeper and deeper into your life. I had someone tell me on Friday that a little bit of sin led to more and more and more until they were far from God. I'm telling you this morning, sin has motion to it. You may think that you have a little sin and it's under control, but sin will not be satisfied to stay in one area of your life. The motion of sin will begin to advance a little bit more. It starts with just a thought. It advances to a desire, and then it moves into an action, followed by another and another and another. What sin was satisfied with yesterday, it will not be content with today. And tomorrow, it will require more and more and more because sin has motion to it. And it all began with two things. Number one, they knew God, but they didn't give him the glory like he deserved. And number two, they let unthankfulness become a habit in their life. And when you don't glorify God and you're not thankful, by these their foolish hearts were darkened one small portion at a time. It starts with a little darkness, but before it's all said and done, you say things like there's nothing wrong with that. I can do whatever I want. May I tell you today that sin is at motion all the time. Sin is always at work. And is always trying to advance in your life. And it all begins when you don't give God the glory he deserves and when you let yourself be unthankful. Can I preach a little bit longer to you? I'm racing my clock. God gloriously delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery. God sent ten plagues against Egypt to deliver them. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned Pharaoh's army. It was a pillar of fire by, not by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. He gave manna from heaven every morning. All they had to do was collect it. It was one, one verse said it tasted like fresh oil. Another verse said it was savory, like coriander. Another verse said it was like honey. It was sweet, savory, and oily, depending on how you prepared for it. One, one blessing from God could, could meet different cravings within the individual. They didn't have to tend a garden for it. They didn't have to hunt it. They didn't have to kill it. They didn't have to clean it. All they had to do was pick it up. Morning and after morning, over and over, God worked miracles for them. Yet they repeatedly complained about manna. I didn't find anywhere where they ever said, God, thank you for manna. 
God, thank you for manna in the morning. Thank you for providing food for my family. Thank you, God, for giving me this blessing and nourishing me in the wilderness. They begin to grumble. Can I tell you that grumbling is a sign of ungratefulness? Grumbling is a sign of ungratefulness. It's fueled by improper expectations. God promised them Canaan land flowing with milk and honey. But here I am in a wilderness. They didn't understand that the wilderness was just a transition period from bondage to promise. But they got frustrated because they didn't get instant gratification. They were in process, but they didn't like the process. And instead of thanking God for how far he had brought them, they complained because they were still in the process. Amen. Numbers 11 and 1, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. Notice carefully what this verse said. When they complained, it displeased God, and the Bible said, and the Lord heard it. When they grumbled, God heard it. God always notices when somebody is unthankful. Don't think you can complain about your blessings or lack thereof and God doesn't hear it. God hears our prayers. He hears our thanks. He hears our praise. But he also hears our complaining and our ingratitude. And the Bible said it displeased the Lord. Am I preaching anybody yet? It displeased the Lord. The original Hebrew renders this phrase as it was evil in the ears of the Lord. It was evil in the ears of the Lord. My unthankfulness is viewed by God as evil. I didn't make an idol. I didn't bow down to it. I didn't worship the devil. I didn't worship any of that. But my unthankfulness is viewed by God as evil. You don't want me to preach it, but it's still the truth. To God, to God, it was evil. The Net Bible says that the original language shows that what the Lord heard was painful to him. Unthankfulness is not merely frustrating to God. Unthankfulness is painful to God. He had to endure nails from Roman soldiers he shouldn't have to endure unthankfulness from somebody that he baptized in his name and filled with his spirit and brought out of darkness into marvelous light and put my feet on a rock and gave me a new song in my soul that gave me peace of mind. The last thing he ought to get from me is pain. The last thing he ought to get from anybody in this place is the pain of unthankfulness. God merely said, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said that the fire of the Lord consumed those on the uttermost parts of the camp. The word uttermost means on the border, on the brim, on the brink, on the edge. Can I tell you, there will always be those on the fringe of the church who are never happy with anything. They're always mad about something, always taking something personal, complaining, feelings always hurt at somebody or something. They're always talking about something or someone, never happy never satisfied, 
living on the uttermost part of the camp. But the Bible said that it was the group on the uttermost part of the camp that the fire of the Lord's displeasure consumed them. It's the destructive power of unthankfulness. But just as the Bible speaks as the, of the destructive power of unthankfulness, there is also great power in being thankful. Can I just get five more minutes? I always try my best to get you out on time. But if I don't preach what's on my heart, I'm not going to be able to rest. And so if you just give me a few more minutes. Just like the Bible speaks of the destructive power of unthankfulness, there is a great power in being thankful. Amen. Israel was unthankful even after all that God had done. Yet the Bible tells stories of people that were thankful even when they faced difficulty and trial. The Bible, the Gospel of Luke, tells us of ten lepers. Leprosy was and is incurable. It was a death sentence. Rabbis viewed it as a curse. These ten lepers were an interesting group. Nine of them were Jews. They knew God. They knew the Word of God. They knew the presence of God. They had heard about miracles their whole life. One of them was a Samaritan, a Gentile. He didn't have any godly patriarchs. He didn't have Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He didn't have any of the great prophets, no great miracles. The Samaritans, the Bible says, were strangers from God. Yet when he healed all ten of them, the only one that came back was the stranger that gave God praise. He didn't know what to do. He hadn't seen a bunch of miracles to know that that's just the way God is. It surprised him so much that he had to go back to the one that worked the miracle to let him know how thankful that he was. The nine had seen miracles and supernatural. They go back to, this, this, this Samaritan goes back to Jesus in verse number 16 of Luke 17. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found any that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. He doesn't even know anything about me. He's not in covenant with me. He doesn't have the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His people weren't brought out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. His people didn't get manna in the morning. His people didn't get water from a rock. His people never got delivered from Babylon. His people never got set free. But yet he's the only one that came back to give me praise. I don't want to get so accustomed to the supernatural that I take the presence of God for granted. God, help me be thankful. God, help me be thankful. Look again, one more passage. Acts 16, 25. In Acts number, chapter number 16, Paul and Silas were preaching in the villages, and they came to a slave girl who was a soothsayer, a fortune teller. Her owners made a lot of money off of her witchcraft. Paul cast the demon out of her, and her owners got mad because now they wouldn't be able to make income from her. They stirred up the city against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison. The Bible said they laid many stripes upon them. They beat them with a whip. Their feet was, were locked in stocks. 
They're chained in the prison. Beaten, bloody, wounded, falsely accused, thrown in prison, chained to a prison wall. But here's what the Bible said in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They sang the song. I'm going to praise till my chains fall off. They were praising God with or without. I don't think they said, God, I'm going to praise till my chains fall off. I think they said, God, I'm going to praise you even if I stay chained here to the last second of my life. I'm going to praise you. If I die in this prison, I'm still going to praise you. You've done enough for me to deserve my worship. You've done enough for, if you never set me out of this prison, you set me free from hell, and that's enough for me to give you praise. If you never touch me one more time, God, I'm just going to give you praise. I'm not praising because it's good. I'm not praising because I feel good. I'm not praising because life's great. I'm just saying thank you. You've already done enough. There's power in thankfulness. Beaten in prison, abused and chained, but thankful. They learned there's amazing power in thankfulness. In Acts 16 and 26, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, what's the next word? Shout out the next word. Shout it, like really shout. Thank you. All the doors were opened. And what are the next two words? Everyone. Whose? All the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Notice with me that when Paul and Silas gave God thanks and praised him, even in chains, even in prison, even after a beating, it wasn't just their door and their chains that fell off. All doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. It's the power of thanksgiving to change everybody's atmosphere. Listen, if you'll walk in your house and be thankful instead of grumble and complain and gripe and fuss and nag, and you'll walk in and say, thank you, God. You've been, I'm going to tell you, everything in the house will begin to turn around. Somebody ought to be thankful right now. I'm talking about the awesome power of thanksgiving. Stand with me, but don't leave. If I had a button to lock the doors, I'd lock them right now. That might be, Brother Benny, that might be something to think about. A button to lock the doors and another button to electrify the seats every once in a while. I grew up in church with some great people. If it hadn't been for some of those people when my mom and dad were away from God, picking us up every service on a van and bringing us to church. God only knows where I'd be. They loved God, served God. That said, they were not really known as a great worshiping church. I didn't know it at the time because it was all I knew. But years later when I began evangelizing, I became friends with some of the guys that preached for us. They confided in me that it was not a great worshiping church. When I was a child, there was a little old lady. We called her Grandma Duffy. 
She wasn't our grandma, but she was everybody's grandma. Mike, do you remember Grandma Duffy? I don't know how old she was. She must have been a 1,000. She was in the rest home and couldn't come to church very much. But man, did I love to see her come through the doors. Because when she did come, she was so thankful. This little old lady would worship and praise God. We came to know that when Grandma Duffy came to church, we were going to have a breakout worship service. Because when a Paul or a Silas or a Grandma Duffy worships, all the doors are opened and all the bands are loosed. The psalmist said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's not enter into the doors and wait for them to sing your favorite song. It's not enter to his gates and wait for your favorite singer or preacher to get up. Before you know the agenda, before you know the scripture text or the song list, before you know if it's the pastor or one of the other ministers or guest, as soon as you walk through the doors, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Everything may not be perfect, but I thank you, God. I occasionally get a little tired of the taste of manna, but thank you, God. But Carson, when you read that list of conditions of depraved humanity, and you go through all those verses of all those terrible traits, I think, well, surely that must have started with some kind of abuse. It must have started with some traumatic happening. It must have, they must have been raised by animals or something. But no, the Bible said, here's what happened. They knew God, but they didn't put him in the proper place. They didn't glorify him as God. And they were unthankful. Because of that, their foolish hearts were darkened one little portion at a time. You know the best thing you could do right now is regardless of your station and circumstance, regardless of your trials and tests and worries and burdens, the best thing you could do right now is lift your hand to heaven and enter into his gates with thanksgiving there's something about thankfulness that keeps us grounded there's something about thankfulness that keeps us focused and directed there's something about thankfulness that keeps our hearts illuminated and in line with the spirit of God God, I thank you. 
Maybe there's not one single thing in your life you can look at and say, man, I'm thankful for that. Then just be thankful that it's not over yet and God still has time to change it. But somehow or another, you ought to be thankful because that unthankfulness advances one portion of your heart at a time. As your eyes are closed, the psalmist said, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And First Chronicles said, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. This is Thanksgiving week. Some of us are going to eat till our brains are silly. But before we get caught up in all of that, could you bring an offering of thanksgiving to God? By giving Him thanks, you turn the light on in your heart because being unthankful causes foolish hearts to be darkened. Thanksgiving turns the light on on your heart. Revelation comes when you give thanks. Blessings flow when you give thanks. I don't think there's anyone in this room that doesn't wish that they had more. It's human nature. Instead of asking for more, why don't we just say thank you for what he's already done. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for my church. I thank you for your presence, oh God. I thank you because you kept me through many storms through many trials and many tests, through ups and downs and inconsistencies, through faults and failures and temptations, in sickness, in weariness, in discouragement, in anxiety, in depression, in frustration, in times of plenty and in times of want, in times when I didn't know what to do, when I felt like I was going to lose my mind, when I felt like there was no way that I could ever be saved, when I felt so dirty I didn't think anybody could love me, when I was so overwhelmed by shame and by guilt, and in all of that, God, you just kept right on reaching for me. God, I thank you. Come on, can you give him thanks? God, I thank you. Come on, you ought to be telling him something. You brought me through the flood and you brought me through the fire. You brought me, God, through great embarrassment and trial. God, when it looked like there was no way I could make it, here I am, I'm still here. Come on, I thank you, God. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, because you made a way when it seemed like there was no way. 
God, I just, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you, God. When I, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it. Is anybody here that thought you were going to lose your mind in the trial? It's all you could do just to put one foot in front of the other, but God somehow made a way. Why don't you wave your hand to him and say thank you. When the doctor's report came back and it was so bad, and you were worried how it was going to turn out, but somehow God made a way. God, I give you thanks. God, I give you thanks. Go ahead and say it. I feel like I'm entertaining you instead of you responding with me. I can't give your thanks for you. I'm just trying to give you ideas. I can't say thank you for you. You got to raise your hand. You got to open your mouth. You got to look to heaven and say, God, I thank you. God, I'm grateful. God, I'm grateful. You didn't deal with me after my transgressions. Go ahead and sing. God, you didn't deal with me after my failures. You didn't throw me out when I was dirty. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, when I was so far. right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank Him. Be grateful unto Him. Be grateful unto Him. For He is good and His mercy endureth forever. 
Bible says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endureth forever. If you know Him to be good, give Him thanks. If you know His mercy endures forever, give Him thanks. Those two reasons right there are enough to thank Him forever and ever and ever. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus right now as they continue to sing this. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'd help us to have a grateful heart. God, no matter what we're facing, that we never stop saying thanks. That no matter what comes against us, we never lose our thankfulness. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would, as Pastor said, put this at the forefront of our mind. And let it not leave us, oh God, for we say thanks unto your name. Even this moment, we say thanks into your name. But God, we pray that it not be only at this moment, but every single day, God, we continue to give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us, that we would be thankful, that we would give thanks unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. In everything, give thanks. In everything, in everything, in every high place, in every low place, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God, we give you thanks no matter what we've been going through. Some of us still feel the weight of what we've been going through, but we still give you thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, if you're thankful, clap your hands. Give them praise one last time. Remember tonight, you don't want to miss tonight. It's going to be a great time in the Holy Ghost. Be here tonight at 6.30. Matter of fact, be here at 6 o'clock. Let's, let's start up this thing in prayer. Jesus name meet and greet right now meet and greet if you are a first-time guest or a new member of Bethlehem Church meet and greet right now in the discipleship room God bless you may be dismissed